Hello, I'm Kerry Garrity. And I'm Caroline Grace Cassidy. And this is Bookbirds. On this episode, which is our very, very first episode, uh, and thank you so much for joining us, we're going to be talking about Patricia Scanlon's much-loved debut novel, City Girl. We sure are. We can't believe that it has been 30 years since this book was first um, was first published. I mean, yes. Can you believe it's been 30 years? And that's it. I was in Eason's. I was trawling along the shelves and I pick I see City Girl. I pick it up and it's the 30th anniversary celebration publication of the novel. And I just the bang of nostalgia mm. off that book when I picked it off the shelf. And I my first thought was instantly Caroline Devlin and Maggie. No, like I knew those characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so bizarre. Like when you suggested that we start with City Girl, like the excitement bubbled up in me to get to read this book again. And I had to question myself, why haven't I reread it again since then? Because I have never forgotten Caroline, Devlin and Maggie. Like I've never forgotten them. And when I uh, when I was reading the blurb on the back, I I didn't even have to read the blurb. They were just like these three long lost friends that I knew Mm. back in the 90s and that I'd lost touch with somehow. And then suddenly they just popped up in my Instagram feed and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Oh, wouldn't that be fantastic if they did? <laughs> we just want to be their friends. We want to be their friends. But we'll talk a little before we get into the book about Patricia Scanlon. Patricia Scanlon. I mean, really, what a trailblazer. Uh, I think she's definitely achieved national treasure status mm-hmm. now at this stage. For sure. Uh, she is, I mean, back in 1990, like you did have... She was the first out of the traps. There's no doubt about it. She came before Marion Keyes, before mm-hmm. Kathy Kelly, before mm-hmm. Sheila Flanagan. Now, Maeve Binchy was, was mm-hmm. writing books. Mm-hmm. She started back in 1982, I think, with Light a Penny Candle, which I totally want us to do at some stage because I really want to reread that. Oh, I adored yes. it. But the thing about Maeve was she was setting her books in sort of small town, mm-hmm. rural Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and a wonderful storyteller and everything. But I, you know, the, the, I was from the city, from yeah. Dublin. And so I didn't really relate. So really, City Girl was probably the first time I picked up a book and saw myself on the pages of a novel. Saw the city where I live. So beautifully observed by yeah. Patricia. It's very obvious that she has such a soft spot oh. for Dublin. Mm. She writes it so beautifully. And, you know, I would have had this impression of Dublin being kind of grey mm. and grimy and dirty and smoggy and... Uh, And yet here it was on the pages of this contemporary novel and looking kind of swell. Yeah, I mean, I think we all did. I mean, that was the media was Dublin is, you know, full of smog and it's dirty and, you know, it's a dangerous place to be. And and then you sort of you you read this and how she just describes some of the most beautiful parts of Dublin that you're just you just fall in love with the city all over again. And like if sex in the city had New York as his fifth character, for sure Dublin is the fourth character in City Girl. Most definitely, along with Devlin, Caroline and Maggie. <gasps> let's <laughs> just think about them. <laughs> Patricia Scanlon, let's talk about her a little yeah. bit first. Um, back in, she was writing this book back in the late 80s. Wow. So at that time, she was living in a flat in Ballymun. She was a librarian assistant. She's assistant. always Oh yes, yes, you have to say assistant. She was always very careful about saying, describing herself with thus because you couldn't possibly to call yourself a librarian when you were a mere assistant. Above your station. Above your station, having notions about yourself. So uh, there she was in the Ballymun Library. 
uh, living in her flat, uh, feeling very cold, mm. um, not able to afford as much heat as she might have liked. Um, and uh, she spots this ad in Cosmopolitan. Wow. Uh, write, write a novel and, and, and win this mug. Or, no, 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 actually it wasn't a mug. <laughs> it was a computer, I think. Actually. It was a word processor, I'd imagine. A word processor. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, kids, that's like an old fashioned computer. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and she, at the time she was writing on a, a typewriter. Gosh, I can't imagine writing you on know, a typewriter. You know, the bangy keys and, 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 and shoveling the carriage back and forth and the sound of it. So um, sort of to keep herself warm, to keep herself distracted, she had a, an undiagnosed case of very severe endometriosis, oh uh, I understand. Mm. And um, of course, as a woman back in the 90s, um, she was just told, ah, sure, look, you know, Take a couple of Panadol. Hot water bottle. Hot water bottle. A couple of early nights. <laughs> off you go, you'll be grand. And it wasn't until she was in her 30s that she was diagnosed. Oh, it was God. horrific. Um, so to sort of distract herself from all that, mm. uh, she starts to write City Girl. I just find her um, so supportive of oh, Irish women writers. Right. Yeah. Uh, she's incredibly generous with her time. And to be honest, she's such a role model to yeah. me, you know, yeah. uh, because when I started writing, at least, you know, there was lots of other Irish writers out there, yeah. Irish women writers out there. So you kind of felt you were buoyed up by then. You could, yeah. you could, you could do it too. Mm-hmm. But when she was uh, totally on her own, she was on her own. She was and the you can first see one. Even, you know, from these characters, they were almost like the foundation of the building of women's writers that, you know, they were laid out. There's, there's parts of Caroline and Devlin and Maggie in every Irish writer story I've ever I've ever read. In yeah. All the books, because I think they were just they just got into our brains. You know, they were just. And I do remember reading this it was the first time ever that I thought, oh, I'd love to try and write people like that. Like yes. they, were, they were that important to yeah. me. As no, a and I definitely uh, think that reading City Girl when I was 20 years old, even though I didn't want to be a writer back then, I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. I hadn't considered the possibility, really. Yeah. I didn't know if I was allowed to have such lofty notions. <laughs> yeah. But then I read this book and I know that a little seed mm. start, began to unfurl mm. inside my brain saying, hang on, you can write about Irish women. Yeah. You can write about Dublin women. Yeah. You can write about Northside Dublin women. Like I, I, I really didn't realise yeah. that you could do that no. and that people would be interested yeah. in that. And it's like Patricia, I, I heard her saying before, it was, you know, the tale old story of write what you know, you know, write about what you know. And I think that's what's so honest about this book is you can just see, you know, that she knows these characters, that, you know, she's been around them, that she's seen these issues that mostly were swept under the carpet, let's be honest. Absolutely, because she tackles some very meaty and back then taboo topics in her book. Now, just before we start talking about the book, I listened to a podcast recently uh, with Patricia Scanlon being interviewed by Mary Kennedy mm. and she tells the story of, you know, getting published first. Oh, yeah. So, um she doesn't win the competition, I think, in Cosmopolitan. Damn you, Cosmo. I know. I mean, what were you thinking, Cosmopolitan? So um, she she sends her manuscript off to um, Poolbeg Press. She included a letter of submission. Um, Dear Mr. McDermott, if you publish this novel, you'll become a millionaire. <laughs> 
did she actually? <laughs> like the absolute confidence wow, of her. Yeah. You know, she knew she had written something pretty mm. special and she wasn't afraid to say it out loud. It's great though. It's so refreshing to hear so, that. Like especially self-worth. back then, you know, the, like the patriarchy was, was, was strong back yes. then. It was very uh, all encompassing. And here was this young Irish, you know, wannabe writer from Ballymun and uh, she just she just put it up to them, you know. Wow. Publish this and you'll be rich. And you know what? She was right. So they did publish it. They did publish it. Now, first of all, they wanted to uh, do a print run of 5,000 copies, which even nowadays would be not bad right. at You wouldn't all. smirk at that now, would wouldn't you? wouldn't smirk at that. Um, and she just said, no, 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 we won't be doing that because <laughs> I want to be at number one. And so I want you to uh, publish a lot more copies than that. So they ended up publishing 12,000. Wow. They ran out of books after week one because guess what? What? City Girl was number one for six. Six months. Six months. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I mean, that is just unbelievable. Well done, Patricia. I'm so delighted. Yeah, well done. And didn't you have a little bit of news about... Uh Apparently, I've heard on the QT, but obviously don't tell anyone. Um, Patricia may be writing yes. a fourth City Girl novel because this this novel City Girl is the first then we have City Woman then we have City Lives so I have heard on the grapevine that there may be a fourth one wow and I really really hope um, that there I I just want to meet Caroline Devlin and Maggie all over again I know when you said about looking them up on Instagram I was like oh I wish I could look them up on Instagram you know they're probably all menopausal now they probably are I want to read about menopausal women I mean they're they're very scarce on the page absolutely absolutely. so bring it on Patricia and I suppose we should before we get into it if you know those six people out there who haven't yet read City Girl oh yeah we're looking at you John Banville (laughs) we're looking at you Mr Banville maybe you should go and grab yourself a copy for the six people that haven't read it uh, we will be talking we will be there will be spoiler alerts galore uh, or spoilers should I say galore so um, but you know most of you have read this book and enjoyed it the first time around back in 1990 things were kind of changing in Ireland back in 1990 there was a kind of a little sense of there was a sniff of change in the air. For example, yes. we got our very first lady president, Mary Robinson, we was elected did. to office in 1990. And I don't know, things just felt um, a little bit more hopeful. Yeah. Like, you know, we yeah. won the World Cup as we well. We sure did. Back in 1990. <laughs> Thank you, Jack Charlton and rest your soul. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, things just seemed a little bit more hopeful. Yeah. And certainly um, the reading of City Girl contributed to that. Totally. But even on the, the, you know, the sort of World Cup thing, I mean, I was obviously a bandwagoner, you know, I hadn't been a soccer fan, but but suddenly women were seen, you know, at, you were accepted into the pub in your, in your green jersey and your, you know. Absolutely. So that, that had never kind of happened before so it's like it's like an equal sort of plane had started to evolve yeah. a little there was a low rumble yes of a low rumble in yeah. the air and it was like oh, wait hang on wait ah. <laughs> I was the main woman who could sing every line of give it a last jack <laughs> yeah but what kind of struck me in the rereading of City yeah. Girl was like I couldn't get over how dark it was. Yeah. You know, I read it as a 20 year old back in 1990. And I know you do the math. <laughs> um, but um, like a lot of the topics kind of went over my head. Yeah. And I was reading it for the drama of these three women. Like I start Devlin, the book is basically actually, yes. let's give you a little flavor of the book. I'll just read the blurb from the back. Beautiful. Uh, whatever life holds, friends come first. Dublin, late 1980s. A beautiful blonde, a quiet brown-eyed girl and a redhead looking for adventure. 
Meet Devlin, Caroline and Maggie. Their staunch three-way friendship is born while sharing a house in Dublin and as they each battle through changing times and turbulent love lives, soon become the only certainty they have. Through the good times and the bad, the bond they share has always been a refuge. And with big life changes on the horizon, the three friends will need each other more than ever. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Um, but yeah, I, reading it now in comparison to how I read it as mm. a twenty-year-old, um, it it just it doesn't even no. It's not the same book. It's not the same book. Mm. I mean, we you've got huge topics here. I mean, we like Devlin is is sexually groomed by her boss, yeah. Colin Cantrell King, Boo. the cad. Yeah. Um, and back then we did not have language for that. No. You know, um, no. she was just this beautiful blonde and yeah. she was 20 years old mm. and she wore, you know, short skirts and tight dresses. Yeah, from Tom. Uh-huh, from Tanser Tom, that's it. And she... Um, you know, uh, her boss fancied her and mm. I kind of thought, well, that's just normal. Yeah. That's what happened when yeah. you when you were young and you were, Beautiful. you know, in an office and, uh, and um, you know, sure, the guys can't really help themselves. No. God love them. Well, should I forget, we were brought up, you know, with images of Benny Hill, like chasing <laughs> women and patting them on the head. And they're like, well, your main thing was escape the man, escape yeah. him, yeah. Like, run like, for your life. Totally. I mean, I remember being in an office and, and this one, my, one of my uh, male bosses used to come into my office and sort of, crouch over me you know with his arms on either side of me sort of bend over me and I'd be there sort of squirming beneath him and just Instead Never of just, dreaming of saying, no. sorry, get your disgusting. Yeah, just back up there, yeah. mister. Um, and just kind of waiting for it to end. Yeah. You know? So when, you, when we read this with Devlin and, and how, you know, how he behaved towards her at the time, like you're saying, it just felt, yeah, well, that's, that's kind of the way, that, you know, that's what goes on. That's but I mean, just what happens, the yeah. The darkness of it now is... Absolutely. Pure, frightening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. You just look back and you, and it's a complete and utter, you know, Harvey Weinstein moment. It's, well, it it's is. He's a total, too. Yeah. I mean, he's a total Weinstein. And, you know, at the, reading it in the first time round, because Devlin was this, just this beautiful yeah. spirit. Now, obviously, you know, that she's painted, she's drawn so uh, attractive. You know, she's, she's a very attractive person. She, as yes. Well. Colin, Colin Cantrell King tells her that she's made for loving. Oh, <laughs> oh. Pew. He does. The fact that the grooming thing was so unobvious still sort of blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, she gets this job. Um, Devlin is kind of this sheltered and slightly spoiled mm. only child mm. yeah. growing up in the leafy suburbs of Fox Rock. Then she gets this job. Her dad gets it for her. Her dad's the bank manager. And back then in the 1990s, you know, the bank manager still had that status of, yeah. you know, he, he knew who's who. Yeah. And he was part of the set. Yes. And Patricia talks about the set and it's capital T, capital S. And the people in the know, the beautiful people, the rich, beautiful people. So he gets her this job. He basically serves her up on a platter yeah. to Colin Cantrell King, who yeah. is a, a cad. And a gynecologist. Oh, God. You just wonder what motivation. Yeah. That career choice, Colin. Don't really? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So poor old Devlin is in there now. She's having. She's living her best life. She's just up in Dublin. Um, you know, she's shopping. She's dancing. She's going to restaurants. All that kind of lovely stuff. And then um, Colin basically grooms her 
mm. from the get-go. Yeah. So he, uh, one day she comes in, she's got uh, period cramps. Mm. He says, oh, for God's sake, Devlin, there's no point, there's no need to, to suffer. So he puts her on the pill. Knowing darn well why he's doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Then after that, oh yeah, he asks her, you know, how do you feel about divorcees and how do you feel about adultery and how do you feel about, you know, oh, my wife doesn't understand me. Yeah. And then he takes to sitting on the edge of her desk. Yeah. And then he takes to letting Nurse McGrath, the colleague, you know, uh, go home early yes. and, and basically does a Benny Hill and chases her around yeah. um, until eventually he, well, he basically tells her that, you know, because she's flattered by the attention. Yeah, of course. She is. Of course. So he says, well, look, and he tries it on a couple of times and she's saying, no, no, no. And uh, he basically tells her, well, you can flirt and tease if yeah. you're not prepared to, you know, yeah. go the whole way. Oh, so eventually totally. he's mind warping her as it goes. It's, you know, it's, it's frightening to read now on the page. Yeah. But, you know, basically, and then also they want to go off on a holiday, don't they? Caroline, Maggie and Devlin. And he's furious at the thoughts of her going away. And it then turns up late at night at her house, you know, oh, poor me. Oh, look, of course, here's extra money and off you go and yeah. sends her off with this mind capacity of, oh, no, maybe, you know, maybe I do like him and sort of saves herself for him. And yes. And, and that's complete course of control. <gasps> completely. You know, completely. and when he finally gets his way, he finally has sex with her in, in, his, in his office. Oh. It's so sleazy. Mm. And um, like the whole time through that sexual encounter, Devlin is saying no. She's saying hang on. She's saying wait. But he just goes right ahead. And, just does it. and uh, it's a dismal. Yeah. It's a dismal sexual encounter for At Devlin. First, yeah. You know, and I'm sure Colin reference? enjoys himself, you know, for the whole 30 seconds that, that he manages. Oh, but totally. um, it, it really is, it, it, you know, reading back on it as an older lady, yeah. um, you can just see uh, how wrong that is how and how sad it is. How sad it is. Yeah. How he gets away with it because then what happens to Devlin is she gets pregnant yeah and of course Colin Cantrell King tells her that she has to go off and have an abortion he'll pay for it because he's good like that first of all he's furious because you know he thought she was on the pill you were on the pill like how could this happen yes you know god what an asshole yeah what an asshole and also then she says oh yeah I did have a touch of the old uh, tummy bug in Spain and he's just so furious with her so he says he here are your options. Mm. Abortion. Mm. I'll pay for it. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, if you decide to keep the child, I don't want anything to do with it. And um, don't think for a moment that you're going to keep your job here because I have friends in, you know, mm. high places in the legal profession. And uh, so there, there's not going to be any unfair dismissals wow. claims. And if there is, you certainly won't be winning one. And you know what? He was right. He was right. Then she goes back and eventually when her mum does find out that's another barrier that's thrown in her face because my God, what will the neighbours say? What will the you neighbours say? You know, and, and it was that idea that, I mean, you are to- she was totally shamed, totally alone and with no as she thinks at the time other options yeah. heads off on a flight well, obviously he'd given her the money because most women had to go on the boat Yes, but heads off on a, a plane to have an abortion all yeah. alone. I mean, how bottom you know it's the bottom has fallen out of her entire world yeah yeah and, and, and that really struck me first of all it was the first time I'd read the journey on the page yes now me and my girlfriends had talked about it yeah and we always talked about you You know you get the boat get over the boat. to England because it was too expensive yeah. to fly yeah. and not knowing what happened then though no. I mean all you knew was you got on the boat did yeah. you take I didn't know if you took a pill did they stick a stick up you did yeah they, like you just, I didn't know what happened after you got on the boat like the fear was very real um, but literally you, you didn't have 
any other options. No. I mean, five years before this book is published, uh, young Anne Lovett dies in a grotto in Granard, 15 years old, giving birth to her baby. And uh, so, you know, the stigma of being mm. an unmarried mother yeah. it was massive. massive. And I mean, as, as Patricia says in the book, um, there's no such thing as an unmarried father. Oh, no. God forbid. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to, to put it in that context of five years before that occurred is just... Uh, Thank God we have come to where we are today is all I can say on that. Yeah, I mean, when I think about it now, like it was pretty dangerous to Mm. be a woman in Ireland back in 1990. And I had no idea, really. I mean, how did we turn out to be so great? I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. But I mean, it really was, you know, I mean, Look, I, you do look where we are now with you know, we've repealed the eighth and we've come so far yeah. as women. But back then you really were second class citizens. Very much like, so. Stood on completely. And even when Devlin arrives at the abortion clinic, you know, um, she's treated like there are some people that are lovely to her. But there is a member of the of the catering staff mm. and she's a woman. Yeah. And she you can tell she doesn't approve of Devlin. No. She looks down she's her nose looking at down her. Nose, yeah. uh, she, she gives Devlin, uh, you know, her tray of food and Devlin just doesn't eat any of it because she's not hungry and uh, this, the the woman says well now you won't be getting anything else till tomorrow and that's I know it's, it's, it's painted so grimly in that moment it's in the so book. bleak it's and what, what strikes me reading it back is, is just the pure loneliness of yeah, that journey yeah, yeah. and that's so hundreds and thousands of women's journeys you know yes. I think that's what really hits home on that is that this is Devlin but Devlin is every single one of those women who sat on that boat and that plane and in those rooms all alone yeah and that's something that the book really does so well it Mm. just shows you you know Devlin ends up keeping her baby yes she lives in London she gets a job but life is really hard the baby is quite poorly yeah Lynn Lynn is the baby yes she's got chest problems and but Devlin is so alone Mm. you know and um, what what struck me when I was rereading the book is that all these women, um, how badly treated they are yeah. by by the patriarchy and just by the very fact that they're women. By men. Uh, <laughs> yes, by men. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they get pregnant. They either have to have an abortion or they have to bear the stigma of being an unmarried woman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sorry, an unmarried mother. Yeah. Uh, and life was just very, very difficult yeah. um, for, for women back then. Yeah, there was no, there didn't seem to be any outlets. Like I know like... Um, We'll move maybe on to Caroline in a second, but at some stage in the book, Caroline does have to attend a, a doctor. And, and there's just that phase of, you know, passing through the doors. We've heard all these problems before. Yeah. Caroline, oh my God, she is the character in the book that I just wanted to run back to 1990, no. scoop her up in my arms yeah. and bring her to the relative sanctuary of 2020. Yeah. I mean, even with COVID, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it, it's safer here than yeah. it was for poor Caroline. She's just, the story starts with her. She's 14 years old. Her mother dies. Mm. And I mean, she's best friends with her mother because she's a very quiet girl. She doesn't have a lot of confidence. Um, and her mother, oh, she just dies, leaving Caroline with the father and her three brothers. Which was a life sentence in those days, apparently. Absolute <laughs> life sentence. Like, oh, she's just expected. It's mm. a real Cinderella story. Yeah. Caroline is just expected to pick up where her mother left off, mm-hmm. clean, cook, do the washing, do the ironing, do the shopping, everything, everything yeah. for these four men. <laughs> and I mean, it's not that they're even bad. No, no. They it's just, just it's expected just what, it. But like even like we're saying, when I was reading that the first time around, I just thought, oh yeah, well, I mean, she's the only girl in the house. Like I, I didn't think that was weird yeah, at yeah. all. Oh, she's back there. I remember a friend of a friend of mine and her mother died when she was a teenager and she basically gave up school <sighs> to look after. 
all the men in the family. So through all this, obviously, Caroline starts to sort of eat her feelings. And, you know, there's obviously she's she's getting bigger and bigger weight wise and more and more unhappy. And uh, that's when she sort of meets Devlin, right? She meets so Devlin's Devlin. dating her brother. That's right, exactly. So she meets Devlin and Devlin kind of takes her in hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two of them end up, uh, Caroline, you know, she's she's described as being overweight in the book, like she's, I don't know, 14 stone or something. Yes, and um, <laughs> But that was another thing that struck me about the book, the body, women's body image. Yeah. You know, you had to be a certain size. Yeah. You had to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. You had to be a certain colour. Yeah. Um, and you just had to conform, conform, yeah. conform, conform. Yeah. The physical uh, aspect was so important. It's so important, yeah. you know, yeah. and then um, how women hated themselves if they didn't fit into, yeah. you know, society's idea mm. of what what they should look like. But again, you know, you look back at historical films, you know, even go to the, sort of the Bette Midler films of the 90s where it was all about being fat and losing weight and being the hero at the end. Yes. You got thinner. If I mean, you it lose was, the we weight, were brainwashed then you get the, li- the nice life. Yeah. And everything. you get the boy. And that's the thing about Caroline. Yes. Oh, my word. Yeah. All she wants is a man. It's the man. I know. Another reason people got married was to escape their home, you know, so that was a way out for Caroline as well as wanting not to be on the shelf. Suddenly she gets away from the dad and the brothers and all the mediocre, you know, the mediocre life that she has. Yeah. And she totally settles because oh, she, she totally settles. like it's horrendous. And, and um, you know, she meets this guy, Richard, and he he shows an interest in her. And it's kind of it doesn't matter what Caroline thinks about mm, him. It's yeah. like he likes me. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, I like him. The first guy to show any attention because obviously the weight had come off and, you know, she was you know, yeah. she was a, she was fanciable. Yeah, she just got smaller and smaller as the yeah. novel. Yeah, yeah, she's tiny. Did you, know, you say she's, she's described like an Audrey Hepburn? Yeah, there's an Audrey Hepburn reference to her looks and uh, she just sort of, you know, disappears almost. Wow, yeah. uh, and this is applauded by society at large. Yes. And Richard, unfortunately, comes along, clocks her and says she will do. As you called him before, the, the big, big dick. dick. <laughs> oh my God, he's such a hideous creature. Like he the is. men in this book. I know. They don't I mean, fit. dear God. Yeah, they don't come out of it well. And Richard, uh, at the time, he is, you know, a high-flying lawyer, yeah. a part of the set. The set. He's in the back of the glossy magazines that you only read in the hairdressers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he appears at like the Dublin Horse Show yeah. and all those kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. fancy things. Yeah. And uh, But he, Richard has a big secret. Yes. He, Richard is a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very much in the closet. I mean, it's 1990. Even George Michael was in the closet back then. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Even Freddie Mercury, even though he was openly gay, yeah. but he was married to yeah. a woman. Yeah. Like Elton John, married to a woman. Yeah. <laughs> just... I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing. No. Like, I literally did not know any gay people back in 1990. I mean, obviously I knew them, yeah. but I didn't know that I knew no. them. And no. they were definitely not out because it wasn't cool and no. it wasn't socially acceptable. No. So, you know, Richard, and in that and, regard... And a lot of these men, so I did have, you know, and women and women married for the, you know, for the society aspect of it. So obviously that's what Richard was so embarrassed. Yes. Was so, you know, wanted to keep the great job and keep up the appearances and have this like dolly bird, I suppose, yes. you know, on his arm. She with was pearls. very much the trophy wife. She was the trophy wife. And yeah. what's really horrible about Caroline's story is that she knows there's no chemistry. She yeah. knows there's no magic. She, there's no sex, is there? I mean, I, know, I think no they sex. say at the beginning sex. of the book when they're on the honeymoon, he sort of said he agrees to sex, but kind of turns his back on her. Oh, like it's, it's really disgusting. It's a really shabby yeah. affair. Because don't forget, if you've no idea that, you know, sh- that he's a homosexual, 
sexual to her she is so unappealing yes. that he can't physically look at her and that's the thing in the women in this book anytime something goes wrong or something's not quite right they automatically think it's their fault yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of talk of being frigid in this yes. book like if you don't want to have sex with a man you're frigid, frigid yeah. instead of actually I don't really find you attractive and <laughs> yeah. also you're a dick <laughs> yeah. so I'm not having sex with you <laughs> yeah. but no it was the women automatically yes. thought oh there's something wrong I'm doing something wrong yeah. it's my fault yeah. so Caroline thinks uh, this is all her fault her marriage is st- is, is just very severe mm-hmm. and just very loveless yeah. and lightless yeah. So she starts drinking. She does. And that's another kind of taboo issue in the book. Because back then, you know, you just associate alcoholism with, you know, these hoary old men who Mm -hmm. are, you know, holding up the bar and having their whiskey chasers after their pints of Guinness. And they're the alcoholics. Yeah, you you didn't see women in bars. I don't remember. I mean, even on stuff like the Reardons, the women or whatever, you know, Bracken or Glen Rowe, whatever it was, the women would come into the pub to tell the men their dinner was ready. (laughs) (laughs) They wouldn't even have a bloody pint. So, I mean, I do remember in that time, I'm going, oh my God, like, you know, she's drinking on the sly. She's drinking on the sly. And drinking a lot, you know, it was... And when we meet Caroline in her, the final section, that's when we realise that Richard is actually beating her. Yeah. And their domestic abuse looms large in the book. And again, this is something, it was so common back then. Yeah. Nobody, Nobody talked, talked about it. Here it was in the pages of a contemporary novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when I watched, I didn't read, I watched for the first time Roddy Doyle's uh, The One Who Walks Into Doors. The first thing that came back to my head was Caroline from Sydney. Yes, yeah. Like I remembered, oh God, that's what happened. Yeah, but nobody spoke about yeah, it. You know, yeah. it was... And I mean, Richard didn't just slapper no. you know which is all already unforgivable he beat the shit out of yeah, her yeah. you know she practically had to be hospitalized yeah she limped along with broken mm. ribs to a yeah. doctor and it was very clear from her encounter with that doctor he'd seen it all before yeah, yeah, you know yeah. he'd, he he but he'd nowhere to send her to then i suppose like there wasn't refugees was there like i don't think there would have been women's aid would they have been up and running i think women's aid was around but it was the stigma it was the shame i mean if you were someone who was being beaten by your husband you were obviously just doing something wrong yeah, you know so what did she do she just hides in plain sight yeah and she doesn't tell anyone and this is a thing that happens in the book uh you know the women draw on each other they really depend on each other for friendship yes, and, yeah. and for comfort and yeah. for support well but it's caroline, the only lifeline isn't it like it's, it's it really is yeah. you know it's what they have and yeah. um but caroline doesn't tell devlin no. and maggie what's happening to her and she does limp along because she's so ashamed, she's ashamed you know and because her marriage isn't isn't what she dreamed no. it was going to be no. you know and um, so she feels like that she's done something wrong yeah that she's ruined her yeah i know it's it's so sad it's so sad and especially when you can see the support that was there you yeah. know that she could have relied on the girls but 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 she doesn't and you know it just gets worse and worse and graver and graver for Caroline yeah. you know it's onto a point where she tries to kill herself yeah I mean it, it, it's just shocking mm. it really is and then we have um, the fabulous Maggie 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 who is definitely my favourite character I yeah. have to say I mean she you're a bit was, like Maggie I don't I, no hair. I think I really want to be yeah. like Maggie but she had red hair yes and like I had re- I have red hair uh, and back then it was real carroty red and it wasn't something to be you know I, I, I wasn't glorified like, yeah absolutely yeah. not yeah. Uh, I kind of felt certainly back in the 80s being a redhead in uh, you know in, in Ireland in the 80s it just it wasn't a sexy thing like and it, you were kind of vilified for it um, so the, along comes Maggie 
And she is, not only is she a redhead, but she's tall and sexy a and balls. athletic. She has balls. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, uh, and also what, oh, I loved this. She got a tan. <laughs> you know, a redhead. <laughs> tans. Yeah, yeah, a redhead who gets a tan. <laughs> um, yeah, which I adored about her. And Maggie was the character. Um, she was definitely my kind of role model in the book. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to be her or at least I definitely wanted to borrow some of yeah. her traits. Yeah. She, Maggie, um, so she grows up on a farm in Wicklow with brothers and parents and um, she all she really wants to do is become a nurse mm-hmm. and travel the world and really I think the reason she wants to become a nurse is because she knows that'll be a kind of a passport get and out, a ticket for her town, yeah. to America to Australia she yeah. wants to go everywhere she wants to just take a huge bite yeah. out of the world and when she goes to New York like she does get a nursing job in New York and when she goes there like you read this city that you know none of us had gone to New York then like and it was so beautifully written and so exciting and so freeing and so wild and I think that's so Maggie kind of is New York in a a metaphor isn't she? She really is and she uh, she's just living her best life over there this in spite of the fact that the catch of the county um, Conway Conway, he wants to marry her and she says no (gasps) like Like what woman said no (laughs) nobody says no to the catch of the county no that was just so <laughs> except refreshing. that yes Maggie did yeah. and she off she went yeah. to New York City where she's living her best life she's going to galleries and museums in her yeah, spare time um, she's been a nurse where she's you know in an Treated environment as well very much unusual. so the yeah. nurses are on a par with the doctors yeah. and their work is valued yeah. and she compares that to you know life in an Irish hospital because she did work in Dublin uh, initially and that's where she met Devlin and Caroline they all live together in a house share in Sandy yeah. Mount very posh and that was back in the days when you could actually afford you know to rent a place in Sandy Man you didn't even think twice about it you just did Um, so there she is over in New York and um, yes sorry she talks about being a nurse in Dublin Mm. and where the nurses are treated basically like naughty school girls and they're told what time they have to be in what time they have to be up what kind of tights they yeah. have to wear what yeah. colour tights they have to so wear being and in, the nun, in the nuns rather than being absolutely. in the nurses absolutely and then um, the doctor is in charge and he's always a man yeah. and uh, and the nurses are kind of just skivvies yeah. like, or they're treated, treated like skivvies like it, yeah. and here yeah. she is in New York where the nurses are very much on a par they're very you know valued yeah. respected and then she meets Luscious Leonard. Oh, Leonard. Doesn't she actually have burst appendix or something as well? And Leonard quickly operates on her. Oh, no, he's a, what a hero. Yeah. What a hero. He's what a man should be, right? (laughs) And he's delicious to look at. Yes. Uh, So she embarks, Maggie embarks on this. He's not her first um, sexual experience. um, But she embarks on this. uh, She's just got such a great, healthy attitude to sex. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So she's in this relationship with with uh, Leonard. It's so equal the two of mm-hmm. them. You know, it's intellectual, it's emotional, yeah. it's sexual. It's so healthy. They're just having the best yes. time. Yeah. And then she gets the call from her ma to say, "Oh no, I think it's actually her, her dad, dad." Says, "Oh, listen, now you'll have to come home from America. Your mother's having the hysterectomy." <laughs> I mean, it's just insane, isn't it? Like she has brothers, all yeah. of whom live in Wicklow, yeah. and but on she the farm, had to haul her ass back from. New York to be a nurse basically to To her own mother. To basically be a handmaid to her mother. I mean you think about women having hysterectomies now like you're you're in and out it's like a day procedure you're there for barely two hours I mean if you're lucky you get a local anaesthetic and you might get a fruit pastille afterwards (laughs) then you hop home and you you might do a quick Lidl shop on your way home. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then you get in. Go to the bottle bank. <laughs> you get in and like you're teenagers and your husband look up from their screen and you're like, I'm home. And they're like, oh, I didn't even realize you'd gone out. <laughs> and there's poor Maggie's mother in bed for what, three weeks, been waited on hand and foot. Well, I Maggie mean, minds her for six months. Six months, is yeah. it? Six oh months. God. And the mother, oh my God, she's such a martyr. And she's such a moan. Mm. And even the doctor says to her, I love this scene where the mother goes to the, see the doctor and she's got this litany of complaints and it's all this is wrong and that doesn't feel good and my leg is hanging <laughs> off. And Moaning Michael. <laughs> and the doctor says, do you know, I think the best thing for you would be to put, put you down. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yes, please yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Maggie's wings but it shows the are heart. so yeah. clipped. They're so clipped. But it also shows the the guilt that women went through here. You know, that, you know, you couldn't put yourself first. That wasn't the right thing to yeah. do. You know, now, you know, it, she was in a situation where her mother wasn't desperately ill or gravely ill, you know, but still she knew that if she didn't come home, the guilt that she would feel would, would not be worth it. Would yeah. not be. So she had to leave this fantastic life, this beautiful guy to do her duty basically yeah to do her duty yeah. and unfortunately for our fantastic Maggie she meets Terry yeah. on the flight home Terry like he's not shut de- up Terry <laughs> <laughs> shut up move seats move seats Maggie please <laughs> like he's definitely not the worst man in no, the book no I know uh, but he's, he's not a bit enough of a, he's no, not enough he's not enough for our Maggie and he's a bit of a likely lad yeah. you know Jack the lad even yeah. though he's from Connemara yeah, he yeah. Is, yeah but he's been a little bit Americanized yeah. you know and he's a businessman and he's got a big chip on his shoulder because he came from nothing yeah and he's dragging himself up yeah and that's very important to him yes but he is very much a ladies man and maggie knows it about him yeah. and he enjoys that about maggie she doesn't it's not an easy catch she's not an easy catch she doesn't accept all his guff yeah but he pursues her heart yeah. and i think because uh, she's down in wicklow she's very isolated yeah she's she's you're, she's pining for of her course. old life and so she's a little bit vulnerable yeah. and Terry focuses all his yeah. you know attention on her he's a handsome guy yeah. and doesn't he just take her he knows her shifts from the plane and he just arrives in her local bar That's and kind it. of rings her I mean yeah. you know you're sitting in a Saturday night in some bloke you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's I mean kind what of, are you yeah, doing in clever. Ireland on a Saturday night in 1990 like what are you what actually are you doing? doing are you yeah. watching Pat Kenny <gasps> on the telly stop it <laughs> stop it <laughs> listening to your mother going oh <laughs> My, my womb <laughs> my phantom womb um, and oh like just just yeah so, so she was she an goes. easy target off she goes yeah they head off to Saudi Arabia that was definitely a thing back then oh it? yeah yeah absolutely I mean especially like one of my best friends is a radiologist and that's where they would have been told to go you know yeah. they all went off to Saudi and made like, great money and yeah I mean I, I, I would actually and for Maggie who all she ever wanted to do was travel it's not really the kind of travel she had in no. mind they live in a compound yeah it's just basically all white Irish people Absolutely. and English With people servants. there. I mean, I remember reading the book. They She's servants. servants. Oh my God, I'd never yeah. leave. <laughs> I don't care I about I'm the dry go- I'm not degrees. going there. No, I hate it. And uh, No, I don't hate it. But <laughs> I, I, de- I definitely, if you want to explore the world, I don't think that's what Maggie had in mind. No, exactly. And when yeah. she's there, she, like she gets pregnant and it seems to me that by the sort of the middle of the book, Maggie's house is just filled to bursting with loads of, of babies it and is. they're all yeah. crying and yeah. And she's and struggling hungry. and she's really she's struggling. struggling, you know, so which hard. I think was really interesting to read as well that, you know, there wasn't this flourish of, of 
the pregnancy the pregnancy was really goddamn hard you know and she's carrying twins and she's talking about them both trying to breastfeed them both and so Patricia does paint a very sort of grim picture of a, of a very difficult pregnancy yes. which again was kind of swept under the carpet yeah. you know nobody knew there was such a thing as a really shit pregnancy yeah and you weren't allowed to complain if no you were, having a you were lucky to, yeah exactly yeah but I mean when you think about it, you are carrying an entire human being inside your well, own you are. body and I think like the way sort of Maggie then starts to sort of unravel is the weight of the children you know you can physically see the effect that the weight of the children has and because Terry just kept yes, on working and suddenly just, she's at home with kids and yeah. that's not what she was I think expecting no, or the I, reality of it was, was and not definitely, good. Yeah, no, and definitely Terry wasn't what you might call the most supportive no, of husbands. No. In fact. Well, <laughs> go on. <laughs> Guess what? Yeah, you know, he's he's basically carrying on an affair with Rhea Kirby. Rhea Kirby. What a dirty cow. Dog. Yeah, what a cow. <laughs> As, I, she was in Saudi Arabia with them at one stage. Anyway, go on, I don't yeah. Yeah, gross, and, but, yeah, and but, but when Maggie confronts them, and I mean, she finds them in her bed, oh, no. in her, you know, bed that she shares with Terry, like, and oh God, the abuse of, oh. of just, you know. But what is it he says to her as well? He kind of is so nonchalant. He goes, ah, come on, Maggie, like, you, you don't want to have sex. You know, I, I have needs. Yes. <laughs> ah, poor Terry. Poor Terry. The dose. Oh, God. God. <laughs> How can he cope? Ah, ah. So he copes with Rhea Kirby. Yes. And so Maggie is just, ah, oh, she's gutted. She's devastated, you know, um, and she's alone. And she's alone. So suddenly we have Devlin, Caroline and Maggie all at rock bottom. Yeah, they're all at rock at bottom. At this stage in the book, you know, they're all, Devlin has had another tragedy before, which comes like a bolt, bolt out, out of the, of the blue. blue. Yeah. She's decided to get out of Ballymun and go and live in Wexford with her aunt Kate and her baby Lynn and she has uh, is involved in a, in a car crash that kills the baby and Kate that and I'll just, never forget no, that no 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 that's uh, so shocking and I, so I didn't see that coming no I mean no. there's a lot of drama in this book yeah. and it's, there's layers and layers and oh layers my of it that was um, but I love the, the punch because that is an accident it, it comes out of the blue yeah. you know you, it's, and it was just so everything she'd done to keep this baby and I save this I mean know. so it was heartbreaking and meanwhile, Caroline has just taken an overdose of pills because, you know, she is in the worst possible place with this abusive, domestic, violent, gay in the closet husband. And now we have Maggie back here as a really struggling mother and finding out her husband's just had an affair. So yeah. suddenly they are all rock bottom. They're all rock bottom. But do not worry because Patricia's canon, we're in a very safe pair of hands yes. here. At the very end of the book, we have Devlin. Um, she has successfully set up a company called City Girl. She has. Which, you know, that's what the book is called. It was uh, the most fantastic exclusive that I have ever read about. I still want to be in there. I so want to be. It was on St. Stephen's Green. I mean, it who could afford that? Oh my God. Can you imagine? Like the rent shops. alone. Yeah. Would be insane. Insane. They had doctors. Yeah. They had nurses. Yeah. They had masseuses. Yeah. And, you know, physiotherapy. Yeah. And there was a shop. There's a shop. You could oh buy God, things. God, it was amazing. <laughs> it was just such a beautiful... You know, Patricia just made th their lives lift again, oh, which yeah. I adored. Absolutely you know? adored. So they all, you know, so eventually I suppose what we should say is the friendship did sort of find, they found each other. You know, they did eventually admit their, the shit they were going through, yeah, I suppose. Because when they're going through their darkest times, they don't really confide in no. each other. And but I, I think, think life is like that sometimes when you're just is. stuck in the hole. You just yeah. don't really want to drag anyone else in with you. That's exactly it. But I think my take home message from Patricia's book is, you know, your female friendships 
oh, they're just oh, so important. Yeah, yeah. You and, and, and do lean on them do, when you, when you yeah. need some help and, and do invest in them when there's good times and spend time mm. and make time and because they're just so important. And especially for women back then when things were so, so difficult and we were really up against it in terms yeah. of the patriarchy. Yeah. Uh, that, that's when you really, really needed yeah. your pals. There's a, there's a stage in the book where Richard, because he was so embarrassed by Devlin being an unmarried mother in, ba- in Ballymun had forbidden Caroline to go and see her and yeah. against all the odds like don't forget this is a guy who's beaten the shit out of her what a she still sort of made that effort you know she did she defied him she defied him I was terrified for her so was I yeah that, you, know, you know because she was out. this teeny tiny little gamine yeah. young woman and, yeah. and he just seemed oh my god he was a he was so brutal he was so brutal and then as well when, when Devlin sort of meets Luke we, we, we didn't really get to touch oh on Luke that much oh my god hashtag oh. faints <laughs> Luke Riley and well, he's got these even white teeth yes and that's when you know that he's going to be a goodie like, yeah, because yeah. all the people in the book who are gorgeous they all have these beautiful teeth because back in Ireland in the 90s oh they my lord no there was no they weren't all that uh, no. we didn't have you know the train tracks yeah. that we have now yeah. and uh, I but don't what know was it, what was especially poignant I thought and brilliant about that relationship was Devlin doesn't go oh a man let me you know save me you yes. know it's quite the opposite yeah, she, she doesn't let him in she doesn't let him in for yeah. ages and he's the one who you know who fights to sort of get to, to be yes. let into her life yeah, because he's intrigued yeah. by her but it was a really important message I think because all the way through men are sort of dominating the women they and really then suddenly, are you know yeah, here's Devlin just saying yeah. you know not ready yet but but soon but uh, you know the, there's a good guy there for when she's yeah. ready and in fact he's just her business partner he's just her business you partner know? Yeah. and in the first few pages of this book uh, in the prologue when they're at this kind of do in City Girl mm. that Devlin has set up and she, she is, you know, monologuing and saying, oh, I must call my secretary. <gasps> and I'm like, oh my God, a girl can have a secretary? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was a secretary back then. I was like, hang on, wait. Blew you mean, your mind. Blew my mind. Because she's only like 26 and she's so successful. Yeah. And, you know, she's such a fantastic businesswoman. And then, you know, the added bonus of having Luke Riley, who happens to have magnificent teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that, yes. So then he comes on. Then Devlin, you know, does become this great businesswoman. Maggie has always delved into writing that's kind of treaded throughout the book. Yes. You know, she wrote a bit in South... That, um, that's it, she wrote in, a diary. Yeah, she wrote her diary about what it was. So suddenly she finds another outlet and I think she also pretty much like we talked about Patricia earlier she sends coincidence her, coincidence we think not <laughs> she sends her book off you know to a, a, in for a competition yes. as well doesn't win again but then does continue to write it and does get published for she the princely does. sum I think of 3,000 pounds she gets a lot more than Patricia she got, got a lot more than yeah, Patricia yeah, got yeah, yeah. and then Caroline is a, you know it's, it's a funny wrap up really because she does stay with Richard weird which is weird she um, does do things though. But I mean, she kind of puts it up to him. Yeah, at the she end. does. She uses him for her own advantage. She, I think. she does because yeah. she's living in this lovely apartment yeah. in Clontarf that she loves. Yeah, Devlin lives in the same apartment block, yeah. and so it's handy for her. Yeah. But she gets to live life on her own okay. terms. Yeah, and she kind of we get the impression that you know she's biding her time mm. she's having a think mm, totally. she's just weighing up her options yeah. she's, she's learned in, to drive she's learned to drive which is huge yeah, yeah. Um, and she, she yeah she, we 
you get the impression that she, we leave her a much stronger woman yeah. than we find her. Yeah. In fact, all of them. Yeah. Oh, all of them, which is just, you know, just they, they're all way stronger for each, for each other each and other for themselves. Well. Yeah, yeah. Like in Ballymun, if Caroline and Maggie hadn't supported Devlin, I don't know where she'd be. Yeah. Same with Caroline, De- especially Devlin, I think was the main sort of influence on her life, you know. She, on Caroline's. On Caroline's yes. life. You know, I think yeah. she sort of picked her up in so many ways. And then Maggie was kind of the mother hen. Yeah, she was a little older yes. as well, you know, but, but at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the book, they all go down to Ross Lair. Yeah, for this and they're celebrating Maggie's fantastic news. She's getting her novels getting published. Yes. Um, also, Maggie's having an affair with a gorgeous guy called Adam. She um, is. So we don't know if she's going to stay with, you know, go with Adam. He's much younger as well, yes. which I adore. That was great. And um, so we don't really know what's going to happen with Maggie, but we know for a fact that we have left them all in a better place than yeah. we found them. Yes. And that's the joy of City Girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you just feel so satisfied, yes. so yeah. sated yes. afterwards. You know, you've got your resolution, and you, as a woman back in the nineteen nineties, you kind of fist punching the air, saying, "Totally, yeah, go come girls. on, girls, yeah, yeah you got this." Yeah, there was, and you know, not on the the thirty edition cover that's out, but I think on the original cover. I'm, but aren't they walking? Isn't it? I think there's three images of these three women walking, and it's the sort of the hairstyles. Oh yeah, and, and yeah. I'll never forget that image was just so freeing. You know, it's yeah. Like, yeah Yes, go on, you did it. You did it. But, you know, just to come back, and especially in these times, you know, of COVID and not being able to meet your mates for a coffee and and your girls and all that, I think the power to go back and read this book is what we're saying, basically. You know, just go back and read it because I guarantee you, you will just love it. You're in safe hands. You you know, it's just... It's so comforting. So comforting. There's something so comforting uh, comforting about Mm rereading. And uh, that's, I mean, I suppose that's really the premise of this podcast as well. But I've been rewatching things as well. Like I rewatched Steel Magnolias recently. And you know, there's something, I don't know if it's the pandemic. Yeah. uh, And you just want to revisit those old haunts where you just feel so comforted and comfortable. Yeah. Like when you said to me you know you know we should have a look at rereading city girl i just said oh god yeah i can't wait i started and i just couldn't put it down yeah, i'm thinking same. and i've bought various books i'm a huge book buyer all through lockdown and i haven't been in the frame of mind for a lot of them you know some of yeah. them are just no so that's what we're saying about this podcast is to find those books that we did read and we loved those characters can live on and on and on they you know let's reread do. Let's reread. Let's reread. That's all we have time for on this episode. Um, I'm actually going to go ahead and call it our inaugural episode. Inaugural? Well, I could call it a pilot episode. No, 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 no. Don't call it a pilot. We'll get pulled if it's crap. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas we intend to carry on regardless. Yes, we do. We are so grateful to Patricia Scanlon and our publishers, Simon & Schuster, for giving us City Girl all over again. If every year needed a bit of diversion and comfort, 2020 is that year. Thanks so much to John and Kevin here at Document Films for setting us up on the podcast. And a big thanks to Becca Kelly for the artwork and uh, the talented Eugene Pilo for the lovely music. Absolutely. Join us next time because we have another great read planned. In the meantime, stay safe. And take care of each other. We're Bookbirds. Thanks for listening.